Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of From My Point of View. A great episode this week because we get to talk fantasy football. So I had my fantasy football draft last night. Uh, it's 12-man PPR. I've been doing it for years with the same group of guys, so it's pretty competitive. Um, we love trash talking. And we had our draft last night. I had the number one overall pick, Justin Jefferson. Obviously, he is like the consensus number one pick that we're going to get uh, that everyone really has basically unanimously decided upon that he's going to be the number one pick this year in every league. I When I first got the number one pick, I think we decided like three or four months ago what the draft order was going to be. Um, I thought I mean, I thought about taking Christian McCaffrey just because my instincts have always been like running back first and that's the way it's been for the past several years but the way it's shaped out is like everyone and their mothers taking justin jefferson number one and wide receivers are going heavy in the first round outside of like mccaffrey and eckler and there's really not any like top end running backs going in the in the top half of the first round Bijan's going like one of my friends took Bijan at nine, I think, which was crazy. And then he took Derrick Henry in the second round. I was like, damn, that's all right. Good luck. Um, <laughs> so we have fantasy football. Shannon Sharp is joining first take on ESPN, which is like a crazy uh, development in sports talk television. I think everyone after he left uh, suddenly after the NBA finals, after he left undisputed with Skip, Kind of felt like, hey, ESPN, they're laying some people off. They're going to shell out the bag for Shannon Sharp, and that's what happened. He's not a full-time guest, but he will be on there on Mondays and Tuesdays. Uh, Anthony Edwards is a freak. I think he might be in for, like, if, if this FIBA USA team is any indication, he's going to be a guy who's going to have an unbelievable breakout year uh, this upcoming season. Um, Steph said he's the best point guard ever on Gilbert Arenas' podcast. The Yankees have lost eight straight for the first time since 1995. Um, the Colts have declared that Anthony Richardson is going to be their week one starter, which makes sense, but is it necessarily the right move? Jets signed Dalvin Cook, which I don't really get, and that's besides... I also drafted Brees Hall on my fantasy team, but that's be, it's not relevant at all. I thought them signing Dalvin Cook was... I didn't know if that was necessarily the right move in general for them, but they did it. They signed him to a one-year deal. Um, and then we'll wrap up the show with my fantasy team. But first, if you sign up to Underdog Fantasy with promo code Animal House, you will get 100% match deposit up to $100. So the link is in the description as always. So sign up to uh, Underdog Fantasy using promo code Animal House for 100% match deposit up to $100. All right, let's start with this television news first. Stephen A. Smith, Shannon Sharp, it was first reported by Andrew Marchand of the New York Post. Uh, Shannon Sharp will be joining First Take during football season on Mondays and Tuesdays. I would assume Mondays, they talk about the slate of games on Sunday, and then also uh preview monday night football on espn and then on tuesdays they come back to talk about monday night football obviously the memes started flooding in on social media you know remove the mics you don't need them they're just going to be screaming at each other and even i said myself in a, a quick news article that i wrote for animal house that 
you know, there's going to be hooting and hollering and emotions and all that kind of stuff. But I think the most important part of what's going on with Skip and uh, not Skip with uh, Stephen A and Shannon is Shannon is going to hold Stephen A accountable. And I think Shannon Sharp's just going to excel. Like, I loved Shannon Sharp on Undisputed. I thought he was a, a good uh, opposite to sit across Skip Bayless as, you know, just as much as Stephen A was. Um, I think they really played off each other well. I think that DeMar Hamlin stuff uh, really kind of made a irreparable rift in Skip and Shannon in terms of like their day-to-day -day interactions because, you know, Shannon told him to take down the tweet. Skip said no. And things just kind of got like weird from there. I, is, I think that led to Shannon Sharp leaving abruptly because it was it was abruptly. His contract wasn't up or anything like that. Um, he did forfeit a lot of money, but he did end up leaving undisputed abruptly. Bay's like, I think when the finals started, that's when he announced it. Like game one of the finals, he was like, after the NBA finals are over, uh, I'm done. And, you know, Obviously, it, it took a lot of people by surprise, and it was it was an abrupt exit. Um, but he's kind of got you know he's got his own thing. He's got club club Shay Shay the the podcast that he has is pretty good, um, and that certainly draws in a lot of viewers, and and it's something that he's able to promote fairly easily on social media and all that stuff. So he's he's fine. Like, I think it's important for him if he's going to continue club club Shay Shay, which obviously he is. I think it is important for him to still be on cable television. Um, being on cable and being on a major news network and being on a major TV show for him for having a, a show like that is a, you have to kind of do that in order to like supplement those viewers and that audience because people will see you now occasionally on first take and if they want more, they want more like elaboration over a point that you had, or they want to listen to other guests, whatever, then they can just go to Club Shay Shay. That's fine. But it's I think that's important for, for him to to go on there. Cause you know him and and him and uh Stephen A are gonna go viral like every Monday and Tuesday. Easily. Easily. There's gonna be something every week that sends both of them viral. So I think it's like a really nice mutual thing for first take and for uh, Shannon, but also with Stephen A. Smith, we'll be honest here, right? Stephen A. Smith has occasionally gotten things in football wrong. Uh, I was, I watched it earlier, uh, him barely being able to like tell you who the Washington commander's quarterback was. He, he, he was like saying it because he wasn't totally sure that it was Sam Howell, but he was saying Sam Howell, Sam Howell, Sam Howell, Sam Howell. Like he was saying it weird like that to kind of play it off because at the end of the day, he's an entertainer. Um, and he kind of had to wait from like for confirmation from the other people on the panel with him saying like, yeah, yeah, no, it's Sam Howell, Sam Howell. Yeah, that's his name. Uh, and, you know, there's notoriously that clip of him and 
I think it was Teddy Bruschi and someone else on the show with him. And he mentioned like Hunter Henry, who wasn't playing. He mentioned, I think it was, I forgot who exactly it was, but it was a defensive player at the time who also was inactive and not playing. So he was pointing out like these key players to watch and the players that he was pointing out were inactive. So they had to correct him a couple of times about it. And, you know, he's a professional and he's a master of his craft. So he was able to kind of just like play it off and then just roll with the punches. But uh, football is not his strong suit. It's just, it's not like basketball. He thrives in basketball. Uh, you know, uh, at, at the end of the day, baseball is by far and away the worst thing that he's knowledgeable about. And, you know, when they have baseball segments on first take, it's generally just the Yankees. And especially this year, they just have like a quick hit segment. And it's about the Yankees being bad. And Stephen A just says like all the other stuff that he probably sees on social media about what's wrong with the Yankees. Like people really got on, got on him the other week. Cause he said like IKF needs to go and everyone's like, that's so like tired. That's such like a tired take. IKF needs to go. There's so many more things wrong with this team than Isaiah Kiner Falefa, who, by the way, he probably doesn't even know, probably didn't even know how to pronounce his name or he really didn't even, he was like stumbling over his name. So he just ended up, you know, shortening it to IKF like everyone else does. But Isaiah Kiner Falefa is not the reason why the Yankees are bad. He is, he is barely a factor in that um there's so many bigger reasons why this this is horrible so like he likes to basically regurgitate what he sees on social media in terms of what's wrong with the yankees which is fine like you know it's even like they can that show can get away with not talking about baseball at all and i don't think anyone would complain like and i i think that's the reason why people got annoyed with him it's because that show doesn't talk about baseball. They don't make baseball a point. Um, even when, even if it's the playoffs, like then they'll chime in with it, obviously, because it's the playoffs. But during the regular season, like that show does not focus on uh, the MLB at all. So when they do, and then you have, you know, you have Stephen A. Smith or someone else say something like that, then people who are fans, real fans of baseball and real fans of, in this case, the Yankees, in more cases than not, that's what they're talking about on first take is the Yankees. So they chime in. They're like, why, why are we even doing this? You know, why are, why are we even entertaining this MLB segment for first take when we all know, everyone knows that you guys don't watch baseball. You don't pay attention to baseball. So who cares? Um, I digress. The football thing. Stephen A, knowledgeable of football, of course. I'm not going to say he. it's like the same, in the same breath as his knowledge of the MLB. And I do really think he has like a casual level knowledge of the MLB. I don't think he's completely ignorant. But at the same time, I, I would be shocked if he even watched any Yankees games. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's just the way it is. But, you know, he reps New York. And he reps Queens, so he's got to talk about the Yankees. He's got to talk about the Mets occasionally, but uh, it, it's not really worth it for him. And I think they realize that because his his bread and butter is the NFL and the NBA, specifically the NBA. So with the NFL, it's like he gets things wrong. Yes, 
he doesn't, I'm not going to sit here and say he doesn't know what he's talking about. He absolutely knows what he's talking about. But it is, I think, a benefit to him to have Shannon Sharp on Mondays and Tuesdays. Because if he's going up against Shannon Sharp, having discussions and debates about players and teams in the NFL, he needs to be on his A game. No pun intended. He because if he's if he's lacking, if he is if he makes a mistake like he did, you know, a, a couple years ago or or last year, whatever, where it's like he gets a player wrong because he's that player is no longer on that team or that player is inactive, that player is injured, whatever it is. If he gets that wrong in front of Shannon Sharp, Shannon Sharp's, I mean, I don't think he's going to completely embarrass Stephen A. Smith on his own show, but I think he's going to hold him accountable. And make him realize, like, hey, dude, you that's not right. Like, that's wrong. You gotta. It's not, it's not gonna be like a, oh, it was an honest mistake. Like, I think Stephen A. Smith at the end of the day, obviously, is a is a professional. He's one of the best in the business. Uh, he knows what he's talking about. He he is a long time, he's been doing this for a long time. But having someone across from you, like Shannon Sharp who's going to come in and and push you not to say that like guys like Ryan Clark or I mean Dan Orlovsky I don't he he's you know maybe a little bit more passive with that but I'm not just not to say that they are not going to correct Stephen A Smith when he gets things wrong but Shannon Sharp is essentially the same vibe as Stephen A Smith he like Ryan Clark and Dan Orlovsky they come in and they really try and keep it like X's and O's with their uh, analysis. And they try to break it down for you in terms of like X players. You know, this is how we see it as X players. But neither one of those guys were ever as good at football as Shannon Sharp. Like Shannon Sharp is a Hall of Famer. They're bringing him in because he's a big gun quite literally physically a, a massive human being but also like he is he can match Stephen A Smith's energy like Ryan Clark doesn't necessarily Ryan Clark is is very prone to like well I played I played football you know he 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 gets like that sometimes Dan Orlovsky is just not nearly as combative as someone like Stephen A Smith is Shannon Sharp is like that like Shannon Sharp is combative he will if Stephen A. Smith starts yelling, Shannon Sharp will Shannon Sharp will start yelling. Like they will start screaming over each other until Molly makes them shut up, so one of them can make their point. Because you're basically not picking up anything at all. Um, I expect that a lot to have to happen a lot where Molly's like in this pickle where she's got to like push the show along, and these guys are just screaming at each other. Um, but it's like they're they're both built they're both cut from that same cloth Shannon and Stephen A so to have them on together I think is it's going to do numbers I think like I said Shannon Sharp is going to hold Stephen A accountable for his knowledge of the NFL he's really going to have to do his homework for these segments he's not going to be able to just kind of like casually walk watch the game of football and walk in on Monday morning uh I think he's going to have to really pay extra to t- extra attention to what's going on around the league, teams that he might not necessarily care about that much. Not that I think they're going to really do like a whole deep dive segment into 
these different teams? Like, do I really think that they're going to be talking about the Washington Washington Commanders on first take if that team isn't playing like Monday Night Football? Which I don't, I I doubt the the Commanders are even playing Monday Night Football this year. But it's like uh, those kind of things. They're not going to talk about lower level teams. Though the only lower level teams they'll be talking about are like the Colts because Anthony Richardson is going to be a starting quarterback. And we're going to get to that in a little bit. They'll talk about the Colts. They'll talk about, uh, I don't know who else is a bad team. Like the Broncos might be bad, but they're a team that people are really expecting to be good. So again, if they're bad, that's a team that, uh, they'll talk about the Raiders. Like people love talking about the Raiders. So even if they're bad, they got Devonte Adams there. Jimmy Garoppolo is someone people love to talk about. Um, Anyone in the AFC East, if they're bad, they're all expected to be good aside from the Patriots, but they're the Patriots with Bill Belichick. So like people are going to talk about them, et cetera. You get my point. So bottom line, I think it's a great, uh, I think it's a great matchup for them. I actually am kind of glad that Shannon Sharp is not going to be on there every week. Um, just because I think we're all going to get a sense of this when the show first airs and they have their first, uh, show together. It's going to be a lot. Like it's, it's going to be a lot. And I just, I think having five days a week of that would be something that is, it's not the same as Stephen A. Smith and Skip or Shannon and Skip or even Stephen A. and Max Kellerman. It's not the same because you're basically having the same type of individuals. Like the reason why those shows worked are because they're different individuals, right? Max Kellerman and Stephen A are different. Skip and Stephen A are different. Shannon and Skip are different. But I think everyone kind of throws Shannon and, and Stephen A into that same circle of like very loud, very passionate, um, easily like they're guys that like go viral. And then the guys that they always had stand uh, sitting across from them, Max Kellerman and Skip are those guys that generally say outrageous things just to say outrageous things. Like Skip Bayless is quite literally the godfather of take culture on daytime television. He started it on ESPN with like first and 10. And then it was like uh, a segment on cold pizza what first take was a segment on cold pizza. And then it ended up being its own show is first in 10. And then it became first take and so on and so forth. So like, he is quite literally the godfather of that, that kind of stuff. So he's always about that. But then Max Kellerman's the same thing. Like how many off top, like the two biggest things that Mac, Max Kellerman is known for, for his time on first take on ESPN was I want Iguodala and Tom Brady's about to fall off a cliff. And that he said that in 2016. And like, obviously Tom Brady went on to play five more years and one in like two more Super Bowls. So it, it's things like that, that are like, they're, they're different people. They're different hosts. They're not the same. Whereas Shannon and Stephen A are very similar to each other. So uh, I don't know when the first, I guess the first show would be, uh, when's, when's opening September 10th, right? Second, the second Sunday of September, September 10th is the uh, first day of the NFL season. So that I guess September, Monday, September 11th would be 
the first show between or with uh with Shannon and uh Stephen A. And then September 12th would be the second because he's on Mondays and Tuesdays. So we'll transition into our sports news now. We got a little bit of NBA uh with Anthony Edwards and Steph, and then again, um baseball, football, fantasy football to end the show. So Anthony Edwards poured in 34 points in Team USA's comeback win to Germany. I still think this was like a this was a pre-tournament like exhibition game against Germany, but it was a game where Team USA was down by 16. Uh Anthony Edwards is that guy. He had this one play that went viral where he caught the ball in the paint outside of the restricted zone and no dribbles, turned to the basket. His his chest was facing out towards the basket. He had his right shoulder pointed towards the basket. Gets the ball, turns towards the basket, and then takes off two feet and posterizes a forward for Germany, like just right over the top of him. Insane athletic ability, just like absolutely no business for someone who's like six foot five, maybe on a good day. Uh, Prime D Wade type stuff. Like D Wade was doing that. I don't even know actually if D Wade was doing just in the paint off two feet, no dribble, dunking over forwards. Um, in transition, he obviously was, but stationary like that. I don't know. Anthony Edwards is a beast, and he is one of those dudes that everyone, I think everyone expects to take that extra leap this year. I mean, he, he, played really well last year um the Timberwolves made it through the play-in and and ran up against the Nuggets in the first round of the playoffs and he basically won them a game by himself it's so sad because I it feels like the Timberwolves are still like holding on to the fact that they think Carl Anthony Towns is like their guy and they're trying to build around him where it's like it's Anthony Edwards and they have done a horrific job of building this team around either one of those dudes, like giving up what they did for Rudy Gobert and completely destroying the trade market for any type of star player is bad. Um, I like Anthony Edwards strikes me as the guy who just, he's going to go play where he wants to play. Um, do I think he's going to sign a max? Yeah. I think he's going to have to sign the max with Minnesota because at the end of the day, these contracts are just quite literally an offer nobody can refuse. Like when a team offers their player a max rookie extension or a super max extension, even though that team might not be the best location for that player, 9.999999 times out of 10, they are going to sign that extension because it is just an absurd amount of money that these NBA players are getting tossed. Because like you even look at Jalen Brown's max extension, uh with five years, four years, even um three hundred million dollars. Like he's getting 60, or I think it's five years, $300 million. He's getting $60 million a year, over $60 million a year. And even though he showed signs of maybe I don't want to be in Boston, maybe it's time to go somewhere else, maybe it's, you know, it's not working, maybe I'm not happy here. 
He signed it. They didn't load. The only time, only reason he may not have signed that is if they lowballed him by trying to give him like 280 or 290 or something like that. They gave him the full max extension. Uh, like, why wouldn't you sign that? You know, like, you'd have to be a, a idiot to not sign a contract like that, even if you're playing for a team you don't want to be, because you could just go wherever you want, probably. Just force a trade. I don't want to be here anymore. Force a trade. So that's why everyone kind of just signs these contracts and then deals with the fallout later down the road if, like, they want a trade or they don't want to be there. You just move on. You know, it, it's just, that's what you're... Uh, it's like what these players are basically taught nowadays. I assume by their agents and their PR and stuff. Be like, yeah, just sign the contract. You go wherever you want after. If you if if after like a year or let the trade that whatever it is, you know. Uh, so Anthony Edwards, like as much as I don't want him in Minnesota, and as much as I would like him on a big market team, he's gonna sign that max extension in Minnesota. Um, but he's gonna have a crazy year. Like I I think he's gonna. He, this year, he is going to be, I think, by the end of it, by the end of this year, he's going to rank higher than guys like Jason Tatum. Uh, and maybe even Luka Doncic. Like, that's the leap I'm talking about. Um, He is a sensational athlete, a sensational scorer. Uh, and I think because of that, I think his defense gets a little underrated, but he is a good defender or he can be a good defender. Obviously when you're the number one option, you're the number one scoring option on a team. Sometimes your defense suffers, but like he is a good two-way player. He's unbelievably athletic. He's must watch television. I think he can, he, he can be a 27 point per game, 28 point per game scorer. Um, and he, like he can average 28 four and four, 28, five and five. He can, but it's just about how much do the, like, do the, first of all, do the Timberwolves, does that roster even benefit him enough to be able to do that? Or is it going to be like, Hey, let's just triple team Anthony Edwards and make everyone else beat us. Cause that's probably what I would do. Um, Rudy Gobert being on that team is just, it's so horrible for that team and for those players and, and for cat and for Anthony Edwards, like when that trade first originally happened, I was like, it's horrible because of the package you had to give to get Rudy Gobert. But I was like, okay, I kind of get it. Maybe you don't really want, like it, you can put Gobert in there to, in the playoffs, maybe to offset some of these other centers, but like, he went into the playoffs in the first round. You go up against the best center in the league. Nikola Jokic was playing basketball like Gobert wasn't even there. He was completely useless. <laughs> it was embarrassing. So he's now the fact that you just saw what he would your your whole idea was to do that. Now you see what he what he did, and you're realizing, wow, he's useless. He's he's completely useless, and our plan is bad. Your plan's bad, and, and the the Timberwolves have just done a, a horrific job, I think, of building this team around Anthony Edwards and and Carl Anthony Towns. They just don't know what they're doing, and now you're stuck with Gobert and his massive contract. And if you want to get rid of him, 
Number one, good luck finding a team who's going to take his contract. And number two, you're going to get pennies for what you paid for him. You're screwed. But my whole point to say is that Anthony Edwards had an unbelievable game for Team USA. And I think it's just that is a direct. Steve, Steve Kerr came out and said, I think it's pretty obvious that he's that guy. And I agree. I think it is pretty obvious that he's that guy. Like he is going to explode this year. That is, I mean, it's not really, I don't think it's really a hot take. I think it's probably like a 30% on the hot take scale. Um, Cause I think a, a lot of people probably expect him to make another leap this year. Cause he was, he's been good since he entered the league. He's been good, but I think this year he's going to be great. And I think at the end of this year, you're going to have him ranked over hot, ranked higher than guys like Jason Tatum and even Luka Doncic. I, I really, truly believe that. He's going to have an, a sensational year. Uh, Steph. So Steph went on, I think Gilbert Arenas' podcast is called Gil's Arena, right? It's one of, I think it's one of those in association with Underdog. Um, But he went on Gilbert Arenas' podcast and Gil straight up asked him, hey, do you think you're the best point guard of all time? And Steph kind of like looked a little confused at first. And he was like, yeah. And he's like, what's, he's like magic. That's it. Is that the, that's the conversation. Right. And he kind of chuckled and he's right. It's basically at this point, I think uh, just him and magic and who's better. I think he has a very, very, very strong case to be best point guard of all time. And I think it's pretty clear by the end of his career He's going to be the best point guard of all time. But obviously you will have people, fans, analysts, whoever, who are always going to say Magic Johnson is the best point guard of all time. And there's a lot of reasons for that. Magic Johnson came into the league and basically immediately started winning. So when you have guys that come into the league and immediately start winning, it props them up to this greatest, this greater pedestal. Um. And Magic Johnson is one of those dudes. Now, he's also a guy who completely revolutionized the game of basketball, being six foot nine and being a point guard was unheard of and something that has never been done before. And Magic was that dude. He was, you know, the helm of the Showtime Lakers. He made sensational passes. He made great fast break plays. Uh, he was a great scorer. And he was just a dude that could do everything. Uh in in the generation that he played he was one of the best of all time he is one of the best of all time um but i think at the end of the day like at the end of their careers steph is even now not even at the end of the careers steph is and also the thing with magic he never aged to the point where he wasn't good anymore you know because of the whole hiv thing he had his career cut short but he never really withered into like a player that was like ah it's a shame to see him get old you know he was always good so with that people still always hold him in high regards um and Steph right now like I think his biggest achieve like his biggest point of emphasis as in terms of like why he's the best point guard of all time is not just the fact that he has four championships it's not the fact that has like all these all-time statistics, shooting statistics and stuff. 
but it's the cultural the cultural movement in the game of basketball that Steph Curry created with shooting the three-pointer, with expanding your range, with taking these ridiculous shots. Like this inspired and created a generation of talent that this is like you have to guard these shots now because guys are going to pull them and they're going to make them. Not only did he force guys to in the NBA while he was playing to adapt to this play style, he inspired generations of younger players to also do that, much like Magic Johnson did. Magic Johnson, you can say, is the prototype to big guards, big forwards who can handle the ball. Guys like LeBron James, guys like, you know, Tracy McGrady, even who's like six foot eight, two guard, being the primary ball handler for a lot of his teams and bring the primary scorer for a lot of his teams. Um, and even guys like Jokic, like Nikola Jokic, all that stems from Magic Johnson being this big guy who can ball handle and be the primary playmaker. LeBron is cut from that cloth. Uh, and and all these other centers and and forwards, like even into in the the least the lesser extreme sense, like someone like Scotty Barnes, like Scotty Barnes is six foot eight, six foot nine, but like he can handle the ball, you know, he can bring the ball up the court, he can and he can be a playmaker. That all stems from Magic Johnson, and Steph is kind of cut from that same cloth where he revolutionized the game of basketball. LeBron James, who I think is the greatest player to ever play basketball, the greatest player to ever set foot on an NBA floor. He didn't even revolutionize the game, right? He's not He's not even a guy that you can say revolutionized the game because number one, there's just not anyone really like LeBron who is six foot eight and is, at, is as strong, as fast, athletic, with the passing skills, with the shooting skills that LeBron James has. It's not something that can culturally change. You just look at him and you're like, he's a freak, right? Uh, but Steph, Steph forced people to work on their range, to work on their shooting. He, even LeBron, to work on their three-pointer, to expand their range. He forced people to do that. Magic inspired people to who are bigger, longer, and athletic to work on their handles, to work on their playmaking, to be able to do stuff like this. So I think in that same vein, that's why Steph has such a great argument to be the best point guard of all time. And I mean, at the end of his career, I think it's going to be pretty unanimous that he's going to be the best point guard of all time. Uh, I think as it stands right now, Magic is probably the best. But to say that it's like completely out of the realm of possibilities and completely like just a whack take to say that Steph is better than magic. I don't think it is. I, I think it's something that at the end of their careers is going to be either like Steph is going to be ahead of magic almost unanimously, or it's going to be a never ending topic of conversation like LeBron and Michael Jordan, where it's, you're going to have people who will never think otherwise that it's magic but then you'll have a lot of people who are just like, I don't understand how you don't think it's Curry, you know? So I, I love that conversation. I think it's it's really a fun conversation to have. Um, like I said, I think right now it's still, I'm going to give the edge to Magic. But at the end of their careers, 
you're going to see where Steph ranks all time in like everything. And I, I like, I think we're going to, Steph is going to be the guy. Like if he is, if he is still the number one guy on this Warriors team for like another two deep playoff runs, like, yeah, I think they're going to, it's going to be Steph Curry. They don't even have to win necessarily like four championships to five. What does that even really matter? You know, and I think Steph really helps with that because they won one championship as the core Warriors and then they got Durant and won two more and everyone was like, yeah, he has three, but like Durant got him too. And then after all these injuries, after a couple seasons of just being bad because you're riddled with injuries, you can't even play, like the team can't even be constructed. Clay Thompson's hurt all the time. He misses basically a full year and then like half a year for Steph himself. And then they all come back with this, basically this same core with just a couple of young pieces and they win another championship. I think that kind of erases all of this. Well, Durant got you two championships mindset. Cause you're like, yeah, Durant definitely helped you get over that. Like they, he, it was, it was a close battle. I think every, those two years with Durant with the, against the Cavs, I think without Durant, those they like probably split the Cavs and and the Warriors. I think it's really just like neck and neck. They're going to be battling the entire series. So they're like teetering with each other. And then Durant just comes in and bulldozes the Warriors over the top to make it like not even a fair fight. Uh, and that's why people were mad. But then to come back after like falling off, quote unquote, falling off, because of injuries and stuff and then coming back and winning a championship like that is that's legit like that that puts a lot of haters and doubters basically shuts them up entirely um and you know magic like magic comes in as a rookie and he has like the best team in the nba so like what in terms of championships if you're gonna weigh the two and be like well steph had kd for two of those championships like magic had kareem and james worthy give it a rest you know uh, just real quick, and by real quick, I mean, like, I don't even want to talk about this for more than a minute. Um, the Yankees have lost eight straight since first time since 1995. Got swept by the Red Sox. Uh, like I said, two weeks ago, last week, whatever, season's over. Yeah, I mean, uh, that much is obvious. Um, at this point, like, I know they're going to fire Aaron Boone, and I don't think that's really fair, because Aaron Boone, like, what can you do? You know, like, he he's literally just... I know the manager always gets the short end of the stick on these things, but like it's so obvious to fans and people who pay attention to the Yankees that Brian Cashman is the problem and Hal Steinbrenner's refusal to fire anyone in the analytics department, in the in the scouting department, in the player development department, and Brian Cashman is way way bigger of an issue than Aaron Boone. It just is. Like that's it's it's horrible. It's horrible what they're doing. Um, and you know that the season's going to end and Cashman's going to take that podium and say like, well, if we didn't have all those injuries and we played up to our potential, like we, I really do believe we would have competed for a, a, a World Series title. You know he's going to do that. Uh, so I, I just, I don't know. That whole thing with like Hal, Steiner, Hal Steinbrenner's refusal to fire people is so embarrassing. Whatever. 
There's just nothing more to say about this team. We're going to football. Happier times on football. Almost there. We're at the end of the road. It's August 21st. Very, very, very close to the start of football season. Uh, And with that, the Colts announced that they are going to start quarterback Anthony Richardson, which I think I'm not totally on board with. Um, The Colts aren't going to be good. Regardless of who's who's that quarterback, the the Colts are not going to be good. First of all, you got to figure out what's going on with Jonathan Taylor. Um, like, is he holding out? Is he going to get traded? Is he actually injured? Like, I don't, we don't, we don't know what's going on with Jonathan, Jonathan Taylor. It's a really big red flag for them. But regardless of his situation, the Colts are not going to be good. Anthony Richardson is not going to come in as a rookie who only started like 15 games at Florida. He only started one year at Florida. And he ended up then declaring for the draft. Like, he is not going to be the answer. Not not at least right away. I mean, long-term, ideally, right, he's the answer for Indianapolis. But this year, you're just going to throw him into the fire and see what happens. I just don't understand or think that that is a smart idea. I really, really, really don't. Um, he is raw. Like that was one of his things. Yes, he got taken in the top five. Well, his one of his things that I think everyone mutually agreed upon is that he is raw. Like he's got the physical tools. He's got the arm. He's got the the talent. He's got the mobility. He's got the size. Like he is a freak. He can be a really good NFL quarterback. But to just throw him in there from week one, week one, it just it makes me. It's like, it feels like Zach Wilson, you know, where it's like everyone kind of agreed that Zach Wilson at number two was okay. But at the same time, like he was not ready to be a starting quarterback. He has a big arm. He was kind of mobile, but like every time he stepped foot on the NFL field, you just saw how overwhelmed Zach Wilson was. And I just, I hope like Anthony Richardson is bigger and a better athlete than Zach Wilson. So I think he'll be able to successfully avoid the rush a little bit more than Wilson did because when pressure got to Zach Wilson, he was just completely overwhelmed. And I think Anthony Richardson, because of his better physical gifts, might be able to deal with that a little bit better. But at the same time, like, I think he's going to be overwhelmed. Like, I think that's, I just don't know if he's ready to just make this immediate leap into the NFL week one as a rookie who barely started in college and Everyone thinks that, like, it, you think it's going to go smooth? Like, I don't. I don't think it's going to go smoothly. I think he's, there's going to be a lot of growing pains. So the general idea is, like, why not start Gardner Minshew? And just, like, it's okay. Anthony Richardson is is young. Like, it's okay for him to sit a year. You know? It's okay. It's not going to be, like, I don't know if Jim Irsay or the Colts feel that, hey, we took him, you know, fourth overall or fifth overall, whatever it was. We have to start him. Because I think that was the general consensus with Zach Wilson and the Jets. Like, we took him second overall. We have to start him. I I don't think that has to be the case here with Anthony Richardson. You don't have to start him. No one is expecting the Colts to be good. They're just not. So, like, why not start Gardner Minshew? Why not let Anthony Richardson develop 
get these skills down, get some like progression in, in practice and, and game speed and stuff like that. Like there's no need to rush this because the worst case scenario here is that Anthony Richardson is completely overwhelmed. He gets hit a ton. God forbid he gets injured. Uh, and even if he just sucks because he's overwhelmed like that might affect, you know, his, his psyche and his mentality of being like, Hey, can I really play in the NFL or are these just growing pains? And that's not really something you want to subject him to if you want him to be the quarterback of your future. So I just, I don't really, I don't know. I don't, I think it, it was very obvious that Anthony Richardson, he was not a consensus top five pick when the college football season ended. He wasn't. And as we crept closer to the draft and the workouts and the combines and all that kind of stuff, he skyrocketed up a ton of people's draft boards into this top five territory, which I'm not saying that's completely unwarranted. I totally get the appeal of Anthony Richardson. But at the end of the day, this was a guy who he is a raw prospect. Like he needs to fine tune his stuff to be able to compete in the NFL. Now, is there a chance he goes out there and is just good? Sure. Yeah, I think I think it is. But I think you can look at him in the same vein as Lamar Jackson. Like Lamar Jackson got uh, he got a crack at it at the end of the year, even though Joe Flacco was bad. He got a crack at it at the end of the year, and everyone was like, all right, we got him. But, like, do you think Lamar Jackson were tore it up, would have torn it up from week one? I don't know. Patrick Mahomes, as generationally talented as he is, he sat behind Alex Smith all year until, like, the last week of the season. Like, this is not – I'm not saying anything that's, like, revolutionary or uh, controversial that a, a raw rookie quarterback should sit for – you know, uh, at least half the season to try and just get his footing and go through the progressions of an NFL season before you actually give him a chance to start. Like Gardner Minshew knows he's not the future quarterback of the Indianapolis, Indianapolis Colts. So put him in there, let him start. And when you want to finally give Anthony Richardson a go, then you can give him a go. But to start him flat out, flat out in, in week one, I think is going to be a mistake. Um, I, I just, like I said, the Colts are not going to be good. So I don't, I just don't see any reason to rush this, to be honest. Uh, we talked about, I just mentioned Zach Wilson and the Jets. So speaking of the Jets, they signed Dalvin Cook to a one-year deal. I thought this did come as a bit of a surprise. Um, it Was it telegraphed? Yeah. I mean, he was showing up to Jets camp and practices and, and it kind of seemed like they were the front runners to sign him. And they eventually signed him. I thought they have a good running back room. You know, Michael Carter, I think it was, gave a uh, a statement to the press that I thought was very elegant. And they talked about, uh, they asked him, you know, what do you think about potentially Dalvin Cook coming to play for the team? Because he's been around practice. He's been hanging out with the squad, blah, 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 blah. And he said, like, listen, I think we have a lot of really talented running backs in this room. I, I think we can really just be great. Um, I'm not focusing on if we might sign Dalvin cook and if he might come in and play for us, it's just, and he's like, he said, he's like one of the best college running backs of all time. He's a sensational player in his own right. I have nothing respect for number four, but at the end of the day, it's like, we're here right now doing what we do and we're focusing on us. And I think that was a great, great statement from him. 
Um, Brees Hall's back. Like Brees Hall is practicing. Uh, he's in. Michael Carter, uh, Bam Knight even showed some capabilities last last year as like a third string running back. I think that's great. So, and they got this other guy. And they have this rookie who, I mean, he impressed in spring training, or not spring training, but um, training camp. And then even in the preseason, uh, Israel, I hope I'm saying, I'm going to try and say his name right on the first try here. Abanaconda, Israel Abanaconda. He looked pretty all right. Like if he was going to be your fourth string running back, like, okay, I, I that's fine, you know? But now you got Dalvin Cook. So unfortunately, Israel is probably going to be uh, resigned to the practice squad. But uh, Dalvin Cook's going to come in. It's, you know, unfortunately for Michael Carter, he's going to be the guy that takes a step back in terms of touches and and gameplay. I still think Brees Hall is going to be the RB1 of this team very, very strongly. I don't see why he wouldn't be. Uh, Dalvin Cook, maybe in the first couple weeks of the season, just because Brees Hall is coming off that ACL injury. Dalvin Cook is probably going to see his strongest workload in the beginning of the season, like the first three or four weeks. And then after that, Brees Hall is going to start getting a lot, a lot work, a uh, big workload again. Um, but Brees Hall is definitely the number one back on this team. I don't think there's any question about it. And Dalvin Cook is coming in to just help push him along. Um, and just give him some rest, because, especially with that ACL. And honestly, I guess you can never have too many running backs. If you're getting Dalvin Cook, who's you know, he has like four, what, four or five straight years of a thousand plus yards rushing, you're getting him on a one year deal. Why not? Like, I see the appeal. I'm I'm just I'm playing both sides. You know, like why? I, I don't understand why they would sign him because you have four running backs that I think are capable as if you're going to be platooning. But at the same time, if you can get Dalvin Cook for a one year deal. Sure. Go for it. All right. The best part right now, this is the best part of the episode. My fantasy team, baby. Let's get into it. My fantasy team, I had the number one overall pick. We don't do anything fans. I mean, sometimes we we do like some fun stuff to determine draft order. But this year, we said, screw it. We did a random number generator, put all our names in, clicked it once. And that was the, that was the pick order. I had the number one overall pick. Um, it is a 12 man PPR, uh, full PPR. We've been doing this for years. I think 10, this league's been around for 10 years at this point, but I didn't start playing. It is only like, I think my like sixth year. Cause I didn't play. They played throughout college and I didn't play fantasy football in college because, uh, I don't know. I just, I just didn't want to, I guess kind of lame. I know, but here I am now. Um, so my team, I'm going to try and go through this. I'm going to try and remember who I drafted in what order. So I had the number one overall pick, and I took Justin Jefferson. Justin Jefferson, basically the consensus number one overall pick this year. Uh, the strongest guy to finish as wide receiver one. He finished wide receiver one last year. He's a beast. Uh, safe pick. And then I think the top five went Jefferson, McCaffrey, Chase, Kelsey, and I think Saquon Barkley, fifth overall, and then Eckler, sixth, or Eckler, seven. I think Eckler fell to seven, which was crazy. Uh, so it, it's, it was a weird top five for sure. There are a couple of my friends who I think had some questionable drafts. Um, 
we did it in sleeper because NFL got NFL.com gave us some problems, <laughs> which is we had NFL.com for years and they they gave us problems. But then we sent it out. We had this like fantasy football thing. I got an A for my draft prime for the playoffs. My receivers are the strongest group that I have. So let's get into it here again. Justin Jefferson, number one overall. And then on the turn for the second and third, I hate having the first overall pick because then you just got to wait forever after you make two picks in a row. But on that turn of the second and third round, I ended up taking DK Metcalf uh, at 212, which I understand to some people is probably a little bit of a reach. And myself included, I, I think this was probably my biggest reach of the draft. Everyone else, I think I got great value for. Um but with DK Metcalf, I just didn't like the wide receiver. I mean, the running backs that were there at the end of the second round. And I wanted another good, reliable wide receiver. DK Metcalf is going to be a thousand yard receiver. I think he is primed to score more touchdowns than he did last year. Do I have the most utmost faith in the world in Geno Smith? Not, I don't know if Geno Smith can, can replicate what he did last year. I'm hoping that he does, but at the end of the day, I still think DK Metcalf is just an unbelievable combo of speed and strength. And like, he's going to get his catches. He's going to get his yards. And I think he's going to find the end zone more this year. So I'm banking on a good year, a great year from DK Metcalf. And then on the turn with the first pick in the third round, I took Mark Andrews. Um, there were a couple years in this league where I had bad tight ends and I just, I didn't draft great. And then I had poor tight ends and you're like plugging in every other week. And it's a nightmare. And then last year I was gifted with the Mahomes Kelsey stack, which I loved. Um, and I just, I can't go without a bad tight end. So getting the second best tight end with the first pick in the third round, I think is great. Um, I really like this pick for me. I'm going to be comfortable here all year long with Mark Andrews there. Uh, and I'm happy with it. You know, the second best tight end in the third, like, the first best tight end is Travis Kelsey. He went in the fourth the fourth pick in the draft. And I got the second best tight end in fantasy with the first pick in the third round. So I think that was a good pick. Um, and then we go to the fourth round, the fourth, the last pick in the fourth round to the first pick in the fifth round. I ended up taking my quarterback here, Joe Burrow. Um, he was the fifth quarterback off the board. I didn't really want to be stuck. Like I I contemplated waiting to the seventh round ish to take Kirk cousins. And I could have done that with the Jefferson stack. It would have been fine. I think, but here I just figured, I think it might've just been better to take Joe Burrow. He's going to, I, he's a top tier quarterback. He's going to be a top five fantasy quarterback. Why not take him? You know, uh, Mahomes had already been taken. Allen, Hurts, and Lamar had all been taken. So I took Joe Burrow. I like this pick. And then on the the secondary, uh, the what was this? The first pick in the fifth round. This is where I take my first running back. I took Brees Hall. Now I was really afraid to take Brees Hall here, obviously because of Dalvin Cook. Um, not really sure how much workload he's going to get in the beginning of the season, but that's okay. Cause I think he's just going to age really well as the season goes on. He's going to get more and more touches and more and more scoring opportunities. At the end of the day, he is 
probably going to be a top 10 running back. He is going to be the RB1 for this Jets. So I felt comfortable here with the first pick in the fifth round, taking my first running back. Um, after that, I think the second, my next two picks on the turn here were, I took Mike Williams here. I think, so this would be what a Hall with the first pick in the fifth round. So the 12th pick in the sixth round, I think I take Mike Williams here as my flex spot. Um, health is always a concern with Chargers wide receivers. Keenan Allen and Mike Williams are both very good. Uh, and health is always an issue with them, unfortunately. But if Mike Williams can stay healthy, I love him as my flex player here. And then on the turn with the first pick in the seventh round, I took my second running back, Cam Akers. I just think that's great value. Seventh round, Cam Akers as my RB2. He is the RB1 for the Rams. Daryl Henderson is not there. Sonny Michelle retired. Um, so, and Cam Akers, the back end of last, like he had like such a weird year last year with the Rams because he went basically from not playing and saying, I want to be traded and like sitting out. He was like healthy scratch week after a couple weeks in a row there. Really, really tumultuous stuff. And then all of a sudden, it just did a completely 180, and McVeigh played him all the time. He was getting touches. He was scoring touchdowns. He he looked good like the last six weeks of the season, I want to say. He looked really good. Like he, he was back. Cam Akers was back, and he was getting his touches, and he looked like he, he had at the end of the year prior. So uh, I like Cam Akers here. He's going to be the RB1 for the Rams. Um, I think he's going to get some significant touches. I think he's going to score some touchdowns. So I like him as my RB two here, but obviously it is, uh, imperative that my wide receivers carry my team. Like I am obviously relying far more on Joe Burrow, Jefferson, Metcalf, Mark Andrews, and Mike Williams to carry this team. than I am Brees Hall and Cam Akers. Uh, and while I didn't necessarily go the full zero running back method, I do like my two running backs that I was able to get based per purely off the value of them. Um, here's my bench. This is not in the order that I drafted them. This is just simply the order that they are listed. Uh, I'm actually, let's see, I'm going to try and think of the order I drafted them. I've had Jamal Williams, I think was my first bench player that I took. I took him in the I think with the last pick in the eighth round. Um, and then I turned around and I took Odell Beckham Jr. So I think I do kind of remember how I picked here. Um, so Jamal Williams, I love. Kamara suspended for the first three games of the season. He's going to be good value. But even so, like that handcuff, he's going to be a tight end machine. If I have a bye week or an injury, like I'm, I'm comfortable having Jamal Williams in there because I know he's going to get touches. Uh, I know he's going to be a red zone guy because he led the league in touchdowns last year. And you know, the saints are going to pull Kamara out and put Jamal Williams in on goal line situations and inside the five situations. So I like Jamal Williams here. And then I turned around and took Odell Beckham jr. I could have taken Zay flowers. In fact, my friend with the, so that was the first pick in the ninth round. My friend with the second pick in the ninth round turned around and took Zay flowers. He snapped on Zay flowers. So uh, people are high on Zay flowers. And I think he is going to have a good rookie campaign. But I have a soft spot in my heart for Odell Beckham Jr. So yeah, maybe I drafted my heart a little bit instead of my head. But I like Odell there in the ninth uh, the ninth round. Um, 
And then in the 10th and 11th round turn, I think this is this is probably one of my worst reaches here. In the 10th round, I took Justin Ross. Um, I am I am a little they're the why obviously at this point, obviously teams, the players are barren, but I definitely could have gotten better value for Justin Ross later in the draft. I'm sure people probably would not have taken him in the 13th or 14th round. So bad pick, I'm gonna say on me, hand up, bad pick uh in the 10th round. And then I ended up taking Tank Bigsby which I think offsets with this. So the last pick in the 10th round, I took Justin Ross. The first pick in the 11th round, I took Tank Bigsby, which I think is great depth for running back. Uh, Doug Peterson came out and said, I mean, take this with a grain of salt, but Doug Peterson came out and said that as the season progresses, Tank Bigsby is going to have a bigger role on this team. So what that means for Travis Etienne, I'm not sure, but I do know that Tank Bigsby is going to be a good depth pick for me. And then with the last two picks in the draft, um, with my last three picks, what am I on? I see 11. So I had four picks left. So my last four picks, I don't remember what order I did them in. So I'm just going to tell you guys straight out. I took Jason Sanders with the Jason Sanders was my last pick 15th round. You need a kicker. I just took Jason Sanders. Um, I took the bills defense. I took Devon Ashain, the rookie running back for the dolphins. And I took DJ shark, who is a wide, he's the third, second or third wide receiver, maybe the second wide receiver on uh, the Panthers. So there we go. So my bench is Jamal Williams, Tank Bigsby, Devon Achain, Adel, uh, <laughs> Odell Beckham Jr., DJ Chark, Justin Ross. And my starting lineup is Joe Burrow, Brees Hall and Cam Akers, Justin Jefferson and DK Metcalf, Mark Andrews. My flex is Mike Williams. My kicker is Jason Sanders. And the Bills defense. Not bad. Um, like I said, this site that we sent everything through gave me an A for, uh, I'll read you the full, here's their full thing. I, you know, you take these things with a grain of salt, a grain of salt, the, uh, the ratings afterwards. But I got an A on my grade, primed for the playoffs, quote unquote, primed for the playoffs. Your receivers are the strongest part of this team. It's rare for us to endorse a team with weaknesses at quarterback and running back, which I don't have a backup quarterback. I think that's why, because I only have one quarterback rostered. But we're doing it right here. You should have a contender. But your margin for error in terms of in-season management could be a bit thinner than some for your competitors. You must remain committed to finding 2023 emergent players at running back and QB. Uh, players we particularly like on this team include Cam Akers, DK Metcalf, and Mike Williams. We have all these guys ranked higher of where they're typically being drafted. Uh with in with great in season management, we think you have about a ninety nine percent chance of making the playoffs. <laughs> and with good in season management, you have a ninety nine percent chance of making the playoffs. With average in season management, you have about a ninety percent chance of making the playoffs. Which I don't really know how do they how this website categorizes great, good, and average in season management. But regardless, I think I have a good team. I like like I said, I think I have only a couple picks where it's. I probably reached and I could have done better, but I also think that offsets because I, I, my running backs and some of my depth, I think I got great value for like Jamal Williams in the eighth round, I think is great value for my third running back. Even my first two starting running backs with Akers and uh, Brees Hall, I think I got great value for them. Mike Williams being my flex, I really like as well. So it's just things like that. Um, Mike Williams in the sixth round, mind you as a flex. I really like that. 
DK and Justin Jefferson, I'm very, very satisfied with that wide receiver core. Joe Burrow is going to be a top five quarterback, fantasy quarterback. I actually said a couple of weeks ago, I'm going to put a, a when he got injured, when training camps first started and he got injured with his calf, he, first of all, he's going to be fine. Second of all, I'm going to put in a future MVP pick for Joe Burrow. Like now that he's on my fantasy team, I just need to double down on it because I said I was going to a month ago, whatever it was. And now I'm definitely going to. Um, nightmare scenario. He misses week one, but I don't, I don't even know if he's going to miss week one, to be honest with you. So that's my fantasy team. I really love it. Um, do I want to go over everyone else? Maybe let's do it. We'll just go over the starting lineups of some of my other, uh, my, my, uh, league mates and see what teams that they have. So this is one team, Jalen Hurts, Aaron Jones, J.K. Dobbins, CeeDee Lamb, A.J. Brown, David Njoku, Juju Smith-Schuster, Daniel Carlson in the Baltimore Ravens defense. Uh, my This friend, he had the last pick in the draft, and he went just on the turn immediately, CeeDee Lamb and A.J. Brown, which I think is sick. Those dudes are going to. And then he has the stack with Jalen Hurts and A.J. Brown. So I think those three guys, plus Aaron Jones, I think Aaron Jones is going to be fine. Um, I think, but. C.D. Lamb, A.J. Brown, and Jalen Hurts are going to carry him through this season. Uh, next up, Justin Herbert, James Cook, Joe Mixon, Stephon Diggs, Amon Ross St. Brown, Dallas Goddard, Jahan Dotson, Brandon McManus, and the Saints defense. This was the 11th overall pick in the draft. He went Stephon Diggs and Amon Ross St. Brown. James Cook being your RB2 is tough, buddy. It really is. Uh, next up. So obviously you could see in this is reverse uh reverse order. So uh this is just in order of the um the waiver wire because it gets flipped. Obviously, I had the first pick. So to start week one, I have 12th priority on the waiver wire. So this is pick 12, pick 11. Now we're on pick 10. Uh Josh Allen, Nick Chubb, Kenneth Walker, Garrett Wilson, Terry McLaurin, Evan Ingram, Rashad White, Evan McPherson, and the Patriots defense. He went Nick Chubb and Garrett Wilson on his first two picks. Uh, could be a decent team. Kenneth Walker, I don't know about him. Nick Chubb, I think, is going to be great. Garrett Wilson is going to be great. Terry McLaurin, as your wide receiver, too, is going to make you tear your hair out. Uh, I had him last year. And then with Sam Howell there, like the quarterback play is just not enough. Like, I get it. Who does he throw to? I get it. That's the appeal. But it's just so hit or miss with Terry McLaurin especially with that Washington offense. Uh, the ninth overall pick, Lamar Jackson, Bijan Robinson, Derrick Henry, Devontae Smith, Jerry Judy, Pat Fryermuth, Brandon Ayuk, Tyler Bass, and the Eagles defense. He also notably got uh, Antonio Gibson and Brandon Cooks, who I like, on his bench. This team looked like I was so questioning my buddy here on his team because his first two picks, he went the opposite of everyone else, and he went full running back, Bijan Robinson and Derrick Henry. Um, but he ended up getting good receivers. Like he threw in, he got Lamar Jackson, and then he ended up getting Devontae Smith and Jerry Judy to kind of fill out his team. And Brandon Ike there, I love in his flex. So his team actually, he is projected the most points of week one, second only to me, which I have like, I think 0.3 points projected more than him. So you can take that with you will, uh, which you will. But, you know, they, they are, we are projected to be high. So his team shaped out really nice. So. I'm shocked. 
Uh, this is the eighth overall pick. This is my friend. He's a Giants fan like me, but he actually legitimately lives and dies with the Giants. He lets it affect fantasy football. So he took Daniel Jones, Tony Pollard, James Conner, Cooper Cup, Keenan Allen, Darren Waller, Alexander Madison, Graham Gano in the New York Jets defense. Like I said, this draft was a bit weird to start because at the eighth overall pick, he got Cooper Cup, who is going top five in a lot of drafts. Um, but he took two, Cooper Cup and Tony Pollard with his first two picks. And then, like I said, he lives and dies with the Giants. So he stacked after he took Darren Waller, I think, in the fourth round, he stacked him with Daniel Jones, getting him in the seventh. Uh, this is the seventh overall pick. Trevor Lawrence, Austin Eckler, Jameer Gibbs, Devontae Adams, Michael Pittman, TJ Hawkinson, DeAndre Swift, Jake Elliott, and Dallas, Cow Dallas Cowboys defense. Love this team uh, for my buddy. He took Austin Eckler with the seventh pick. Again, Eckler fell to him at seven, so he stole him. Uh, and then he also, I think Jameer Gibbs is such a good pick for his RB2. He has great running backs. And his wide receiver two is a bit weak with Michael Pittman just because we talked about Anthony Richardson, or even if it's not Anthony Richardson, it's going to be Gardner Minshew. So the passing game for the Colts might not be exceptional, but the fact that you have Devontae Adams and then Austin Eckler to carry you through, I think he reached a bit. He took TJ Hawkinson in the fourth round after my other friend took Darren Waller. I think he reached a bit with TJ Hawkinson there. I don't like that pick. Um, but then DeAndre Swift in your flex too. It's a good draft, I think, overall. Uh, the sixth overall pick, my buddy kind of panicked here. He went, so he has Dak Prescott, Saquon Barkley, uh, Ramondre Stevenson, Jalen Waddell, DJ Moore, Dalton Schultz, Chris Godwin, Justin Tucker, and the Miami defense. He also has Javante Williams on his bench, which I like. But he panicked. He was like, not panicked, but he was so indecisive. He's like, do I take Eckler at six or do I take Saquon? I don't know what to do. He had Eckler last year. Eckler was bad or very average the first three weeks of the season. And he haphazardly traded him. And then we know how Austin Eckler finished the year. So instead of taking Austin Eckler for the second straight year, he took Saquon Barkley, who has obviously tremendous upside. The only thing you're worried about is if he stays healthy, which I think he's going to be fine. Um, and then with his second pick, he took Jalen Waddle. But to also get Ramondre Stevenson there as your RB2 is very good. And Waddle, DJ Moore, I think that's a sufficient wide receiver core with Chris Godwin as your flex. Uh, the fifth pick in the draft, Deshaun Watson, Travis Etienne, Miles Sanders, Tyreek Hill, Chris Olave, Kyle Pitts, Debo Samuel, Youngway Koo, and the 49ers defense. I also do like this team. So this team, uh, Etienne, I don't know how he's going to be, but I do like Miles Sanders as his RB2. He ended up taking Tyreek Hill was his first pick. So I should say his first two picks were Tyreek Hill and Travis Etienne. Um, I like Olave as the wide receiver too. I like Miles Sanders as his RB2. Travis Etienne as the RB1, I'm just not sure. And then Debo at the flex. Debo took a huge fantasy hit this year, but Debo at the flex is great. Uh, the fourth overall pick. Justin Fields, Damian Pierce, David Montgomery, T. Higgins, Amari Cooper, Travis Kelsey, DeAndre Hopkins, Harrison Bucker, and the Denver Broncos defense. I hate this team. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, Kraus. I hate this team. Uh, Justin Fields, I think, is going to be a good fantasy quarterback this year, as does everyone else. But his running backs are Damian Pierce, who I just don't know, and then David Montgomery, 
who, yeah, he's probably going to get some red zone work, but Jameer Gibbs is that guy. I think that everyone is expecting to get a majority of the touches out of that backfield. And yeah, David Montgomery is probably going to run the ball a little bit more than Jameer Gibbs, but that doesn't really equate to good fantasy running backs, you know? So I just, I just don't know. I love T Higgins pairing him with Amari Cooper. I think that's a solid wide receiver core, but I don't think it's great. Um, and then Travis Kelsey was the number one pick here. He he took Travis Kelsey and I think T Higgins were his top two picks. So not in love with this team. And now the second overall pick, which I think I hate even more. Aaron Rodgers, Josh Jacobs, who just reported to camp, by the way. We didn't touch on that, but Josh Jacobs did report to camp. Um, so Aaron Rodgers, Josh Jacobs, Dalvin Cook, Jamar Chase, Calvin Ridley, Dalton Kincaid. Tyra Lockett, Jason Myers, and the Steelers defense. It's just reach city. Even his bench is reach city. I just, he took Rodgers way, way, way too early. Um, I think Josh Jacobs is is fine. I think where he took him is, is a good pick now that we officially know he's going to report to camp. Dalvin Cook as your RB2 is in shambles because I have Brees Hall and he's going to be the RB1 for the Jets. I did take Brees Hall on the turn, and then two picks later, he took Dalvin Cook, so I'm sure he was eyeing Brees Hall, but I snagged him instead. Um, Jamar Chase was the first pick here at number two overall, or number three overall. Uh, this is three overall. I don't know if I said it was two overall. It's the three overall pick. And then he reached for Calvin Ridley as well. I just, I don't know. I don't really, I, I'm not in love with this team at all. And this is the second overall pick. Um very similar. My buddy here drafted a team that's very similar to me last year, except I was early on these guys because they were rookies, but you'll see what I'm talking about. He has Patrick Mahomes, Christian McCaffrey, Najee Harris, Drake London, Christian Watson, George Kittle, George Pickens, Jake Moody, and the New York Giants defense. Um, love Mahomes. He's going to carry you. McCaffrey, his first two picks were Christian McCaffrey and Patrick Mahomes, I believe. So McCaffrey is the second overall pick. Fine. I think that's okay. Uh, I know a lot of people probably are taking Eckler there, but I think McCaffrey, if he, and again, if he's just healthy, he's going to be a beast. So I'm not worried about it. For If I was him, I wouldn't be worried about it. Najee Harris is your RB2. Everyone hated Najee Harris. I had him last year. So the players that I had on this team from last year on my fantasy team, Patrick Mahomes, Najee Harris, Drake London, Christian Watson, and George Pickens. Pickens, Watson, and London obviously were all rookies. Mahomes was great for me. Najee Harris was horrible for me. Um, so he has very similar players, except now that this trio of rookie wide receivers are going into their second year, a lot more is expected of them. I don't know how Drake London's going to do in that passing game now that Bijan's there. Kyle Pitts is back, which people forget. He got, I don't know, um, maybe, people, maybe people don't forget, but Kyle Pitts got hurt last year and, and missed a, a solid amount of the games, uh, maybe almost half the season, I want to say. So Drake London got an uptick in targets, but now that Bijan's there, Kyle Pitts is back, your quarterback situation is still kind of iffy at best. So I don't know how he's going to be there for your wide receiver one. And Christian Watson's another huge question mark because Jordan Love, we don't really know how good Jordan Love is going to be. Uh, I think out of the three, the most consistent you can expect is George Pickens, even though he's projected to have the least amount of points there. Uh, but at the same time, you got Najee Harris in your starting lineup. So a lot, this is like potential, but really scary stuff. Uh, and that's why when you look at my team, I'm really satisfied with the way I drafted. 
I think I have a nice combination of upside and solidified. So like Joe Burrow, Jefferson, Metcalf, Andrews, and Mike Williams are all solidified good fantasy players. Mike Williams is the biggest question mark of the five because of his health. And then my running backs, I think my running backs are just solid. Like they're just, they're just solid and they have so much room to be great. Like they have room to be really good fantasy uh, running backs. So that I think I drafted great. I think uh, my friends on the back end of the draft did really well. I think in terms of the top five, I drafted the best, but that back half of the draft, I think played really well. Um, the seventh overall pick, my friend Nico, I, I hope he doesn't listen. <laughs> I don't want to give him that much props, but he always drafts well. He really does. He always drafts well. And uh, my other friend, George, I like his team as well. He always drafts well, too. That's my fantasy league. Um, for those curious, I made it to the championship last year and lost. And I, we had like, a obviously, a lot of people had a weird thing because of the whole... Um, near tragedy of DeMar Hamlin. It, uh, the fantasy thing I had T Higgins, I was up half a point and I had T Higgins and he had Josh Allen. Um, and when it ended, I was technically down by like 0.3 points, but then when they canceled the game, it reset to me being up by 0.5 points and our league deemed me the winner, but that wasn't really the case. So we just said, okay, next week, We'll just let them play it out. It was the final week of the regular season. We'll just let them play it out. And whoever scores more points wins. And I was like, well, now I'm now I'm screwed. But there, my only realistic shot was the Bengals shutting down Josh Allen and T. Higgins, like having a great game. And then I probably barely would have won. But obviously, T. Higgins got hurt in the last week of, la uh, of the season last year. And Josh Allen did, you know, he did what Josh Allen does. So he was the winner. I came close, um, but I made a crazy run at the end of the year to get into the playoffs, and my team really caught fire. I was led by the stack of Mahomes and Kelsey, Tony Pollard being a beast. So I liked my team last year. I like my team way more this year. I will say this is probably the best team I've ever drafted. Like This is the happiest I've ever been post-draft, for sure. All right, with the fantasy wrap-up, uh, that'll do it for this episode from my point of view. Thank you all for listening. I appreciate you as always. Uh, have a great rest of your week and a great weekend. And I'll talk to you all next Tuesday. Two men.